Jesus, we thank you this morning that irrespective of how we feel, we believe your word. Your word declares that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who strengthens us irrespective of feelings, irrespective of life circumstances, irrespective of what we are facing, your word declares that we are more, more than conquerors, more than able because of your strength, your life, your ability inside us. And we recognize that. We may feel weak. We may be struggling. We may be going through all kinds of things. But feelings aside, we place our trust, our faith, and our dependence on your word. We are more than conquerors because of the strength of your life that you faithfully provide us, Jesus. We thank you. Again, we remind ourselves, greater is he that is in us than anything outside of us within our world. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We just want to thank you. Just take a moment right now, whether you're watching online or here in the hall. Take a moment, feelings aside, just to place your faith, trust, and dependence on those words that the Lord has spoken over your life. More than a conqueror, through Christ who strengthens you. That doesn't mean to say that life's going to be easy. It's going to be full of hills and valleys. Great times and hard times, but you're more than able to go through it, child of God. More than able, more than capable, not because of anything within yourself and of yourself, but because of a life that is within you, the life of Christ. Greater is he that's in you. Come on, church of God. Greater is he that's in you. Come on, believer at home. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. This world has no real certainty or stability about it, but in the midst of all of the questions and uncertainties that this old world goes through, we have the promises of God that are sure, that can never fail or falter. His word never returns to him void, no matter how we feel or get up on a Monday morning. Greater is he that is in you and me than he that's in this world. And never forget, child of God, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I mean, we could go on all day, couldn't we? You're the very workmanship, the handiwork of God in Christ Jesus. The workmanship of God in Christ. You really are. And it's always important in times, in all times of life, not just in these current times in which we live. It's always good, 
always important to remind ourselves of the promises of God because this is the hope and the anchor that brings us through. It really is. I tell you, when your feelings start to question things about life and when your, your feelings start to, to try and interpret things that are occurring, bring them in line. Bring them in order. Correct them. Realign them with the Word of God and with the promises that He has spoken to you. It's really important. Just to encourage. Remember when David came home on one occasion, came back to Ziklag, and the, the home that he had, along with all of his men, was laying in ashes. Wives and children had been taken. And his own men were so under pressure that they began to look at David as an enemy to them. They began to look at David being the cause of the disaster. And they turned on him and they were going to take his life. What does it say David did? He encouraged himself in the Lord. These are days that we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord with the Word of God. And right there, in the midst of encouraging himself in the Word of God, God gave direction. Word came. And the Bible says that he recovered everything that the enemy took from him. It doesn't matter what the enemy has taken from you. It doesn't matter what situation you're facing in life, encourage yourself in the Lord. And I'm telling you, God can turn everything around for good. He really can. What the enemy is meant for evil, what the enemy is meant for your downfall, can turn into destiny. It really can in the hands of God. Because we serve the God who makes all things work together for good to those that love Him, to those who are called according to His purpose. And you are called according to His purpose. Amen. Amen. Come on. He's so good. I was going to say, let's give him a big shout of praise, but we can't, right? Clap your hands. Do something. If you're at home watching, you're going to give him a big shout. Let's thank our musicians as well. Oh, it's so good sometimes, you know, just to encourage ourselves in that way. Before we get into the Word, just to stir ourselves up. It's a joy. It really is every time to come together, to sing God's praise together. I don't know about you, but just in the, in the few moments that we have together, singing and worshiping God and listening to His Word, I don't know how God does it, but He lifts your spirit he really does. He energizes your life. There's something about the gathering together of God's people. God's there. Jesus said, when two or three come together in my name, there I am in the midst. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing, you know, to be together and to know that he is with us in the midst. It really is. Well, this morning we're going to continue on in our series of messages that I started last week titled, A More Excellent Way. This is the phrase that the Apostle Paul used when he wanted to help believers at Corinth who were struggling with some really big life issues. 
really hitting the hurdles hard. The warning lights were going off for Paul. These believers were really, really at their wits end with life and they didn't know what to do or where to go. The first 12 chapters of this letter, 1 Corinthians, really shows us that these believers at Corinth were struggling. Do you know when, um, when your warning lights go off on your dashboard on your car, it's important to pay notice, isn't it? It's important to look at them and heed the warning that they're alerting you to. It really is. I learned this the hard way. Many years ago, I had a car and um, the dashboard on, on occasions would light up with warning lights like a Christmas tree. And, you know, there were so many warning lights going off all at once, I didn't know what to do. I certainly couldn't take it to the garage because I knew that it would cost me more than what the car was worth. So in the end, what I used to do was hit the top of the dashboard and the lights would go off. And it worked for a while, right? Every time the lights would go off, the warning lights, you know, this this alert system that the car was giving me to tell me that things weren't all well, I would strike the top of the dashboard, the lights would go off, and I would go on my merry way down the road. Well, one fateful night, actually just coming through Caffili, the car gave up the ghost. The warning lights had long gone. They were no longer flashing. I'd, you know, I'd hit that dashboard to, to, to its death, and there was no more signals coming from the engine to tell me that things were wrong. It finally gave up the ghost. The engine seized. The car was towed away and thrown in the scrapyard in Corinth. The church dashboard was going off, let's say. Warning lights were flashing, and the Apostle Paul was seeing all of the warning signs in these people's lives that they couldn't get beyond. So he came to them with these wonderful words. Paul didn't say, right, I'm shutting the door at the church in Corinth. You haven't obeyed my commands. You haven't, you know, uh, gone according to the direction that I've given you. I'm shutting the door. I'm closing the church. I don't want there to be a church in Corinth. No, Paul lovingly came to them in all of their distress, in all of their failure, and he said these wonderful words, I want to show you a more excellent way, a more excellent way to live, to get beyond the warning lights, to address the real issues that you have with Christ's love. And as you do, this will enable you to live successfully in the life that God has planned for you. A more excellent way was his desire for them. He didn't want to, you know, coldly rebuke them. He didn't want to shut them down. He didn't want the, the, the church to end. No, he wanted the church to thrive. He wanted the church to fly. He wanted the church to be everything that God had created it to be in Corinth because that city was so dark and it needed a bright light in it to show people what life was all about. And that bright light that needed to be lit in that church in Corinth was this wonderful light of love that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. 
But in 1 Corinthians 12, he uses this phrase, after all of the, the trials and the troubles and the conflicts and all of the competitions that they'd been in one with another, he uses this amazing phrase. At the end of it all, he says, I want to show you a more excellent way to live. These believers in Corinth had really lost their way. When you read over those first 12 chapters of this letter, many of them had lost their way. They'd been lost in relational pain and hurt and conflict. And they just didn't know how to get through it. They had really come to a Red Sea moment in their lives. Remember when the children of Israel came? And they were leaving their, their life of slavery, leaving Egypt, and then they came face to face with that Red Sea. No way beyond it, it seemed. The enemy, Pharaoh, and all of his amassed armies, hot on their heels, ready to return many of them back to their slavery in Egypt. At that wall of sea, there seemed no way forward, certainly no way back. And yet God, in a moment, provided a way through the sea. And, and on all the way down through that 40-year journey, through the wilderness, God, time after time, again and again, as they came to those dead-end situations in their life, always provided a way through. The Corinthians were at a Red Sea moment. They hit their wall. They didn't know where to go or what to do or how to get beyond where they were. They had great gifts. They could talk really well. They, they had many abilities, and on many fronts, they were advancing forward fast. And yet, they were struggling. They had lost their way, and they couldn't get beyond the barriers that everyday life was presenting them with. So Paul, as a loving pastor, says, listen, I've got the key. I've got the answer. I know what you need. I want to show you a more excellent way. And we read it last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a wonderful, wonderful picture of what this more excellent way is all about. So today and for, well, for this day and, and into next week, we're going to focus on the first three verses of this amazing chapter where Paul begins by showing us, firstly, what love is not, in order to later reveal exactly what it is. Paul's amazing as a teacher, a wise master builder, as he wants to help these believers in Corinth with this more excellent way. Firstly, he shows them what love is not, in order to reveal exactly what it is. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is giving them the means to measure all of their actions, all of their attitudes and interactions with others. 
He's giving them the means to measure each action, each thought, every intention, every attitude that we will have. If we will place it through this filter, Paul is saying, we'll be enabled to walk in this more excellent way. Now, it's important to say this right at the beginning. We've all failed at this. This isn't a standard that we can ever reach without God's love in our heart. It's impossible. But as we will see later, the very love of God has been shed abroad in our heart. So it's more than possible for us to do this, to live this way, to walk in the power of it. It really is. Paul gives them this wonderful, wonderful ability to assess their own actions, to assess their own direction in life, in what he teaches them in 1 Corinthians. This is the more excellent way. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he shows it them very clearly. Now, as we read this morning these first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to pick out five key points that summarize what Paul is saying to us about the importance of God's unconditional love in our lives from these opening three verses. There are five key things that we're going to pick out that summarizes what Paul is saying to us in these first three verses. So let me read to you, firstly, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 from verse 1 through to verse 3. Remember, Paul is showing us exactly here in these opening verses what love is not, okay? Verse 1, he says this, Though I speak with the tongues of men, and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing." Though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now, on one hand, in these first three verses, Paul is really painting an impressive picture of someone's life. They can communicate well. They're able to use their gifts. They have a broad understanding and are knowledgeable. They've got strong convictions of faith. They're generous and even sacrificial to the point of death. And when he's talking, he's doing something wonderful in a sense, very pastoral. He's pointing to himself He's likening this person that he's portraying to himself. And we know that by his repeated use of that pronoun, I. Though I speak with the tongues of men, he says, and of angels. 
He uses that personal pronoun, I, throughout these first three verses. And what Paul is doing here, he's referring to himself possibly as he pursued God very religiously and very legalistically outside of Christ. He had a, a, a ritual and a religion that had no love in it. He was a man that could articulate well, communicate so fluently. He was a man that certainly had great understanding and great knowledge. He, as a, as a zealot and as a Pharisee of Pharisees, would have understood mysteries. He would have been a generous man according to the laws of God. Paul the Apostle was driven in his zeal to even sacrificial lengths to lay down his life. But Paul, summing up his life, wanting to help the, those believers at Corinth, sums it all up as nothing without love. He's pointing to himself, he's pointing to his past, and he's saying to these, these young believers at Corinth, listen, I've been where you've been. I know what you're going through. I understand that you're lost in the way. What you need is not more gifting. What you need is not more knowledge and understanding. What you need is not a bigger amount of faith. You just need love, the love of God. And you can use all of those things, and all of those things become very powerful and effective when they come from this amazing source of God's love in your heart. But without this love, these things, as good as they may seem, amount to nothing. So let me give you just five we're going to focus on a few, maybe two this morning. Five key points that summarize what life looks like without God's love in it. What Paul shows us in these first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Firstly, Paul shows us that without love, all that we say is ineffective. Secondly, he shows us that without love, without God's love, all that we know is incomplete. Then thirdly, he continues and he explains in these verses that without love, God's love, all that we believe is insufficient. Then fourthly, he emphasizes that without love, all that we give is insignificant. And then as a final fifth point, Paul caps it all off by informing us that without God's love, all that we accomplish is inadequate. Paul is showing these believers as he is showing each one of us that God's unconditional love in our hearts is indispensable for life and living and walking in this more excellent way. Now, the Corinthians had put all of their investments and all of their time and energy into pursuing all of the things that Paul had just previously spoken about in those first verses. They wanted to prophesy. They wanted to speak. 
They wanted to broaden their understanding with wisdom. They, they, they wanted all of these things that made them prominent. And as good as that may have been for them for a time, it didn't have the power to overcome the everyday life situations that they were in. And Paul came to them and helped them, wanting to show them this way that Jesus wanted them to walk in. So let's look for a moment. We're just going to cover two of these points this morning, and then we're going to cover the next three possibly next week. Let's look at this first key point today. Point number one, without love, all that we say is ineffective. Verse one, Paul lays this out clearly for us to see by saying this, 1 Corinthians 13 verse one, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging symbol. Paul's just picturing life. Words are important. Words are the way in which we communicate one to another, the, the way that we build life itself. But all of the talk, Paul says, and all of the words that we use have little meaning unless they're motivated and empowered by God's unconditional life, uh, love and life. He wants them to understand this because with all of their big talk and with all of their great speeches, their lives are breaking apart. So he comes to them and he informs them that their lives have to be immersed in this love and governed by this love in order for them to be successful in their relationships one with another. Now, it's interesting that Paul pulls on this picture of our lives being like a noisy, clanging cymbal. Because in Corinth, the way that they would awaken the gods in their temples would be that they would take a stick and strike a big brass gong. Or the attendees in their thousands would come and clang their cymbals in order to awaken the gods in the hope of their prayers being answered. So Corinth was a city that was, that was filled with discordant noise, clangings of cymbals, gongs being struck in the hope of the gods being awoken for prayers to be answered. Corinth was a, a, a city that was full of this discordant noise that was piercing. And Paul picks up on that. And he begins to encourage the church, but also enlighten them by saying this, listen, if you haven't got love, the love of God, in your hearts toward one another, your interactions with one another are going to be nothing more than that noisy, harsh, discordant sound that you hear every day down at the temple where people are trying to 
awaken the gods in order for their prayers to be answered. And it's, it's a very, very apparent message, a very real message to them that they're very much aware of. In order for our words to be constructive, in order for our words to carry life, to enrich others, they have to be sourced in and motivated by the unconditional love of God that's in our hearts. And this was one of the warning lights that came up on the dashboard at the church at Corinth. They were speaking without love. And Paul said, listen, with all of your words and with all of the noise that's happening in your midst, it's just like that discordant, noisy symbol when it's not motivated by the love of God. Do you remember in John chapter 13, the disciples went through this very experience that Paul is talking about here and encouraging the church at Corinth with. John chapter 13, in the afternoon there was an argument among them. It broke out. They couldn't hold it back. Who's the greatest among us? And then by evening time, Jesus takes them up into an upper room, and the towel and the bowl are in the room, and it was customary for somebody to take that towel and to wash the feet of the guests that came in. Well, the disciples knew that it was customary, and I'm sure in the corner of their eye, as they passed it, they saw the bowl and the towel there. But nobody took the initiative to take that towel and bowl in hand. Why? Because it was too humiliating. And only servants did that. No, we are too great for that. They came into the room hard-hearted, and then Jesus stood. He laid aside his robes, the Bible says. And he took that bowl and he took that towel and he began to do something that they would never, ever forget. What was he doing? Showing them a more excellent way. Doing something that all of them detested. And yet he took upon himself a will, the, 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 the person of a willing servant and he humbled himself again, as he always did. And he washed their feet. And Peter, recoiling in his pride, said, No, Jesus, I'll never allow you to wash my feet. It's just like a clanging cymbal in the ears of Jesus. But Jesus graciously washed his feet anyway. And then Jesus began to tell them in John chapter 13 about what was going to happen to him on the cross. And Peter said, hey, listen, Jesus, if everybody denies you, I will never deny you. In fact, Jesus, I will die for you. What a promise. I mean, Jesus wasn't asking for any promises. But Peter couldn't even pick up a towel and a bowl. How would he ever expect to give his life for Christ 
a few hours later. The reality was he couldn't even wash his own brother's feet, never stand, ne- never, you know, nevertheless stand for Jesus in, in the moment of pressure and that dark hour. And Jesus said to him lovingly and tenderly, in love, he said, Peter, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. No, I won't. Well, we know, we know that all of those overinflated promises, all of those, 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 those statements of love that, or so-called love that Peter made to Jesus in that room were, with, were, were with, within hours were of no effect. Why? Because love hadn't changed his heart. Love hadn't permeated his life. Love hadn't taken a hold of his attitudes and his character. And he failed. Our words will be ineffective when love is not at the center of them. And very often, all of us in this room, we failed with our words. Sometimes our words have hurt others. On other occasions, our words, through our words, we've hurt ourselves. And our words are ineffective very often when love has not formed them and formulated them. And when they don't come from that rich river and that rich resource of God's unconditional love. I remember on one occasion working in a place, an engineering company in Astrid Manak. And there was a lot of pressure on this one particular job. We were working, you know, 12-hour shifts, seven days a week. And there was a deadline to meet, so everybody was feeling it. And I remember this one guy Oh, me and him were just rubbing each other up the wrong way. And um, he needed this piece of equipment. So he asked me for it, and I said, no, you can't have it. I'm using it like a good Christian. And uh, he jumped to his feet, man. He was ready for it. I mean, the fuse had come to its end, let's say. He starts screaming at me. He started it, right? He starts screaming at me and, you know, shouting. I jumped to my feet. My goodness, like a good Christian, has started to shout at him and all. I was, started to, I was as bad as him, shouting at him, ripping into him like he was ripping into me. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit turned up. And I was giving it to him. He was giving it to me. And then the Holy Spirit said, Dave, what do you think you're doing? I didn't want to answer that question. And I didn't want to acknowledge that he was there in that moment. But he wouldn't go. What are you doing? I said, well, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm shouting at Jason. It's amazing how you can have a three-way conversation right in the midst of 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 a tense, pressured situation. He said, and and the Holy Spirit said this to me very clearly, apologize now. 
man, I don't know what to do. Well, I knew that I had to follow what he was instructing me to do. What is that? That's a more excellent way through a very tense, difficult situation. That's God providing a more excellent way when you've come to the end of your way and you don't know what to do. When your words are ineffective, when your words are breaking people down and injuring people, it's a more excellent way. I followed it. I went with it. I didn't want to. But I knew that it was right. I knew that the Holy Spirit's voice for my life had to be obeyed. I followed it. I went with it. I said, Jason, please, just one minute. Please stop. Jason, I want to say something. I am sorry. Please, will you forgive me? Honestly, right? I, have, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. It was like somebody took, right? a bucket of ice-cold water, threw it over him. He com- his disposition completely changed. He starts crying, right? And then he just starts pouring out his heart to me about all of the situations that he's going through outside of work that he needed help with. Do you know what? There's a more excellent way through. I learned a lesson there. I really did. That in every situation that we're in, there's a more excellent way through it. There's a more excellent way out of it where we're not injuring people, but helping them, blessing them, encouraging them. And you know, from that time on, me and Jason became the best of friends. It's amazing what God can do, how he can turn situations around so quickly when we will listen to him and walk in his way. So I'm not talking about any of this stuff this morning, saying, hey, look at me, I got it cracked. Not at all. I'm encouraging us in this way. We've all failed in this way, but when we fail, that just becomes a lesson to learn from. And to go on from so that we can help others and bless others in the way in which we go. The second point that summarizes what Paul is saying in the first three verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is this. And we're going to look at this now. Without love, all that we know is incomplete. All that we know is incomplete. He tells us firstly that without love, all that we say is ineffective. And then he moves on to show us that without love, all that we know is incomplete. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 2 says this, And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, I am nothing. Paul had previously spoken to the church at Corinth about the dangers of just, you know, filling your head with knowledge. Knowledge alone will just give you a sense of superiority over others. Knowledge alone will just leave you arrogant and proud. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says to them, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Knowledge puffs up. It makes you proud. It makes you arrogant. It gives you a sense of superiority above others. But love builds up. Our knowledge and the knowledge that we have can be utilized greatly if it's empowered by this unconditional love that God has placed in our hearts. But just to have knowledge alone, you just become arrogant and proud. And you don't help anybody. Do you remember in Luke chapter 10, on one occasion, Jesus told a story about a man that was dying on the Jericho Road. And three men came by that way. The first man was a priest. And he epitomized knowledge. The priest epitomized knowledge. On his person, he would have had attached to, to either his arm or his forehead a little box with which contained the law and the, 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 the writings of Moses. He was a man that was incredibly knowledgeable. The priest had great understanding. And yet the Bible says, and Jesus, I'm sure with sadness of heart, said the priest walked by, passed by on the other side. On the other side of the road, he left that man languishing. He left that man to die. That's the reality. Just coldly passed him by. His knowledge may have given him a sense of superiority, but his knowledge had made him arrogant and proud to the point that he couldn't even help. A man that was at the point of death at a point of crisis. Then next on the road came a Levite. And he was knowledgeable in the fact that he belonged to a rich heritage. He belonged to a rich lineage of family that were in service to God. And yet with all of his knowledge, he came by the road where that man lay dying and he calculated the cost. He looked on at that man. He calculated and did his sums mathematically as to what it would cost to get involved and help that man that was dying. And with his knowledge, he decided to pass on by much like the priest. And then, then, a good Samaritan, the most unlikeliest of candidates, Jesus picks up and uses. And probably to their shock and horror that day, everybody that heard about Jesus, everybody that heard Jesus and listened to that illustration that he was making about that man that was a good Samaritan realized that, you know what, it's not your knowledge of religion 
that can ever, ever help anybody. It's not your, your heritage or your lineage. No, it's compassion and love. A good Samaritan came by that way, and he saw the man. And it says he was moved in his heart with compassion. And he began to bandage his wounds. And he lifted him up on his, on his donkey, and he took him to an inn, and he paid for his keep. Luke chapter 10, verse 33 to verse 37. I want to read you just these four verses as we close today. Because really they do point to what Paul is saying and what Paul is talking about as he's teaching and guiding these believers at Corinth. This good Samaritan chose the more excellent way when it was before him, when he took time aside and put his agenda away to meet the needs of this man before him. Luke 10, verse 33 to verse 37 says this, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him, and, what, and whatever more you spend, then I come again, and then, uh, when I come again, I will repay you. Knowledge without love is completely, completely ineffective. Knowledge without love is fruitless. Oh, it might impress. It might puff us up. It might give some a sense of superiority, but Really, knowledge without love doesn't get into the nitty-gritty of life and help anybody. But knowledge that's fueled, fueled with love, can enable us to be effective, can empower us to serve others in their need. Now, just looking at some of these points today, you know, we may think, well, how is it possible? How can we ever live like this? How can we ever walk through life with all of its hurdles and with all of the circumstances sometimes that come thick and fast upon us? How can we do this? It can seem impossible. You know, we can, we can be like the little boy or we can feel we can feel like the little boy that, that went to the hen coop every morning. Once upon a time, there was a little boy that had a hen. And he went to the hen coop every morning. And he was disappointed every morning because the hen wasn't producing big enough eggs. 
He wanted bigger eggs from his hen. So one day, he walked down to the hen coop with an ostrich egg. And he put the ostrich egg in front of the hen. And he said, right, there you go. From here on in, that's what I want you to produce. The moral of the story is this. It was impossible for the hen to produce the ostrich egg. Why? Because it didn't have the capacity to do it or the capability. And when Paul is showing these believers at Corinth this more excellent way, he isn't laying a demand on their life that they cannot fulfill. He isn't setting out an expectation and a more excellent way that they cannot follow. How do we know that? Why, Why can Paul point out this great expectation of life to them in order for them to walk in it? Because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. Let me read it to you finally. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Right now we're going to close our service today. But Romans chapter 5, verse 5, Paul says this, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given us. The love of God as a result of us accepting Christ as our Savior has been lavishly poured out in our hearts. We'll never be like that little hen cooped up in that coop, unable to produce what is being asked of it. No, we're more than able to walk in this most, most excellent way. Why? Because the love of God is in our hearts. We just have to access it. We just have to allow it to take control and be the motivator behind what we say and be the empowering force behind what we know. Our words, instead of breaking down, can build up. Our words, instead of being a negative force, can be a powerful force of life to others when we allow the love of God to fuel them and be the power behind them. The knowledge you have in whatever sphere it might be doesn't have to stay with you. It can be complete as you use it. With God's love in it, it can enrich and bless and lift up and be everything that God has called you to be to others. Just like that good Samaritan reached out, lifted that man up that day on that Jericho road. His knowledge was put to good use. His application of bandaging that man and pouring in the oil and the wine into his wounds was put to good use. Why? Because he was moved with compassion and fueled by love for that person that was languishing in life. Do you know today, people may have said hurtful words to you. You may have said hurtful words to others. 
But there's a more excellent way through. There's a more excellent way to go. There's a more excellent way through every single situation that we might find ourselves in life. Why? Because that love, that unconditional love of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit is in our hearts. And that's the way through. We may have to apologize. Big deal. Well, it is to some, but it shouldn't be. We may have to retrace our steps. Apologize. Put things right. Make things good. And whether those apologies are accepted or not, it's important for us to do what we can do in order for us to walk in these steps and in this way that Paul, the apostle, guides us to do. Amen? I'm going to pray right now. Father, I thank you for your people this morning. And Lord, as we study this and look at this over the next while, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us and show us that your way above our way is the way to go. Jesus, you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And Lord, as we follow your way, as we do what you do, as we obey your call to live this life in the world in which we live, we pray that our lives would be that wonderful, sweet aroma of life that you've designed it to be. We ask this in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. Now, this morning you may be here or you may be watching online. You've never asked Jesus in, into your heart. You've never asked Jesus to be your personal Savior. He loves you so much. He really does. The Bible says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You simply got to put your faith and your trust in Him. I'm sure like me, you've seen pictures of Jesus on the cross. Do you know He hung on that cross to carry your sin, your guilt, your shame? so that you wouldn't be punished, he was punished, so that you might have free access beyond this life into endless, eternal life with him in heaven, with the Father. That's, that's why he died, to remove this guilt and this shame. I'm going to ask you right now to close your eyes. I'm going to pray a prayer. And in this prayer, you're going to place your faith in Jesus Christ to make him your Savior. It's going to be a moment where your life is going to change. It's going to be a moment where a miracle is going to begin in your heart. Salvation is going to come. And you are going to know peace, possibly for the first time. Let me pray right now before we sing. Simple prayer. Pray it in faith. Put your trust and your hope in Jesus. And I tell you, new life today from this very moment will begin. Maybe repeat this, these words quietly in your heart with me today. Say this, Jesus, I believe that you died for me on the cross. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for taking the punishment that I deserved upon yourself. 
so that I might have new life in you. Thank you. I believe you rose from the dead on the third day and are alive forevermore. I ask you now to accept me into your family. Amen. Now, you may not have understood everything that you've heard this morning. You may not have understood what you've prayed. But I tell you, in simplicity of heart, as you've placed your faith in Jesus, a miracle has begun. It really has. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time, you're watching online or you're here this morning, we would love to give you maybe your first Bible and a little stories booklet that, we, that we've made of testimonies of people that have seen Jesus do amazing things in their lives from the church. We'd love to give you one of those on your way out this morning. Or possibly, if you're watching online, we'll send you one. We would love to send you one. If you prayed that prayer, the details will come up on screen just about how you can uh, get one of those booklets. Just write a, a little message to us on email, and we will send it out to you this week. We'd love to, to do that. Are you ready to praise God before we go? Come on, why don't we stand to our feet? Let's just give him just a shout of praise, maybe behind your mask, and applause for his word this morning. God bless you.